Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, and we're, well, we're tired. It's been a long week already, hump day today, but Lord, we thank you that you sustain us, you carry us through, you give us the strength to be able to achieve all that you've led us to do. Thank you, Father, for your word, and your word brings life. And I thank you, Father, that your word says that when we wait upon you, that you renew our strength. And so, Lord, tonight as we we wait on you, as we sit in your presence and we talk about your word and how it applies to our life, that our strength is renewed. And we, we are ready to do all that you're calling us to do. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. 1 Kings 13, as of last week, Solomon passes away. That would be 1 Kings 11. His son takes over. His Actually, the kingdom is split because his, his son does not seek wisdom, does not uh, follow in his father's footsteps, and he um, he comes down hard on the people and tells them that you thought my father was hard, um, I'm going to be even harder. You know, the interesting thing is, is his father was hard. His father was a hard man. His father was a, a strict, uh, powerful leader. But what was the difference between Solomon and... Was it? Rehoboam. There's so many Rehoboams and Jeroboams and Hiram Boams and... That all the... father had compassion and mercy. His father had compassion and mercy. Okay. He was wise. He was wise. That... That seems to be the difference because he was wise. You know, it's it's there. You know, and if you go to Ecclesiastes, go to go to Ecclesiastes. We were just talking about that a moment ago. <laughs> yeah, for anybody listening on the recording, that was Deb making plastic art out of her glass, out of her cup. Turn Ecclesiastes three. Oh, there's billions of bugs. This is the bug heaven, this side of the building. Was it? I heard Pastor Karen out uh, in the. She was, she was out in the uh, entryway sucking them up with the vacuum cleaner. Yep. It's a it's a sport around here to see how many you can get on any given afternoon. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter three, which is probably the, the you know the first or second most uh, recognized passage of Ecclesiastes starts out by saying in verse 1 there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven and then he goes and he lists you know born die plant uproot kill heal tear down time to build and that is wisdom there is time for everything and I, and I believe that Solomon understood that there was a time to be a strong leader to be someone who uh, comes down hard and, and expects hard work out of the people and so on and so forth. 
but he also knew there was time for for rest and and I believe that he you know because people continued to follow him they loved him they loved being around him why because he was wise because he he knew there was a time for hard work and there was a time for rest there was a time for building and a time for for you know hanging out and, and just having fun so the reason they loved him so much was because of his wisdom um, Rehoboam did not have that and he came across harsh and immediately the people revolted and he lost uh, 10-11 of the kingdom uh, it, Levi did not you know it, it, Levi went with the temple um, it didn't it didn't count them among the the tribes when it when it split but the, the Levites stayed as the priests Benjamites stayed there too could be I think it was Judah and Benjamin were the were the two I think so probably I'd have to that does seem familiar all right so we get to first Kings 13 13. Um, 14 and 15 are very interesting chapters. Um, 13 is one of those stories that is has always intrigued me. Um, it is one of those stories that as you read it, um, God's led me to that story a number of times at, at various points in my life and has caused me to read that. I remember the first time I, I came across it where where I read it in a way that it was a rhema, that it was a, a, something that meant something to me. It was a part of the... Uh, rather than just reading it, it was another story in the Bible. I mean, how many times do you read through that? You read through and just another story and you kind of hear it, you know, get the, the facts of it and you move through. But I remember um, reading this story once and really it affecting me because... It was a time in my life when, when God was expecting me to do what he said to do rather than what somebody else said to do. So let's read that and, and let's talk about this story. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful narrative of uh, how God leads us and what he expects from us. First uh, Kings 13, beginning with verse 1. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel. As Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering, and remember Jeroboam was the one who, um, he was the Israel king, correct? Mm -hmm. Just to remember, I get my bowl straight. He was the king of Israel. He was making a, uh, he was making a sacrifice. Um, and verse two says, by the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will, will, will be split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out. So, he is, they are at Bethel. So this is not the altar at the temple. So he's... The altar at the temple is in Jerusalem, Jerusalem which is under um, Judah, which is a part of the tribe of Judah. So he's not talking about the altar at the temple. It's a different altar. But it was the altar 
that they, when they sacrificed at, at Bethel, when different people worshipped at Bethel, David worshipped at Bethel, I believe Solomon even worshipped at Bethel. Um, I think so. So it was a godly altar, which they had, had um, perverted and were using it to make sacrifices to the other gods. And so a man of God, we don't even know his name. It doesn't mention him. I mean, well, it, does, it mentions him, but it doesn't mention his name. And so um, it just says, a man of God came. And so he came, he prophesied against that altar, that that, that altar, um, that human bones, that, that because they've been sacrificing to other gods on it, it was going to be desecrated. It already was desecrated, but it was really going to be desecrated. And human burn, bones would be burned on it. And the altar will be split apart and ashes will, will be poured out. Verse 4. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him. But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Whenever I read that part about his hand being stretched out and, and it begin to wither, it's like a uh, 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 Raiders of the Lost Ark moment, you know, like like in the movie when the when the guy, the ark opens yeah, the ark opens, everybody starts shriveling, and you know, it's like it's like whoa, you know, and this is powerful stuff. I mean, God God wasn't messing around; um, he was he was performing his word. The, you know, the, the the prophet was was speaking the word by the Holy Spirit. And he was, uh, God was manifest, or God was confirming that word by the signs that were hap- by the signs that were following. First, the hand shrivels when the when the king tries to to uh, stretch out his hand against the the prophet. But also, the the altar splits apart, and the ashes pour out according to the sign that was given. In verse six is so interesting. The king said to the man of God. Intercede with the Lord your God and, and pray for me that my hand may be restored. The first thing that I notice is he says, intercede with the Lord your God. He doesn't say intercede for the Lord our God, my God, the God. He says your God. Which shows that Jeroboam had no regard for the Lord. Even though it was God that put him into power. It was God who, who established him on the throne. Pardon Bugs. Bugs. Any strange movements tonight will be attributed to bugs. Yes. I had one crawling in, down my back today. And I'm trying to reach out, trying to grab that thing. So, um, so Jeroboam, I mean, think about this. He is the, the uh, succeeding king to the greatest king that's ever lived. He was given ten elevenths of the kingdom. I mean, and God, and it was by God's hand that he did it. God did the same thing for David. He took the he took the kingdom out of Saul's hand and gave it to David. And David recognized that it was God and gave him glory for it. Jeroboam didn't. Not even for a minute. It doesn't seem like, even though it was the the prophet of God who made the. Who prophesied to him? This is how it's going to happen. You will become this. You'll get. You know. You will do that. So on and so forth. He doesn't seem to 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 acknowledge that God did it in the least. That it wasn't. 
you know, he, he immediately starts sacrificing to foreign gods as soon as, but he also had spent time in Egypt. He had also, you know, he had, he had, uh, he hadn't grown up per se in Israel uh, under that rule. He had been a rebel. He had been in rebellion far before Solomon uh, died and, and, and turned the, and, and turned the kingdom over to his son. So he says, pray to the Lord your God, intercede uh, with the Lord your God. So the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before, which is another sign. So it was this, the, the sign of the kingdom being restored, or get the kingdom given to him, then his hand withering, the ashes pouring out, the, the altar breaking, and then his hand restored, and he still doesn't acknowledge God. I mean, we, we read on here, and he immediately continues to go and worship to other idols. So, you know, we, we look at the world around us, and, you know, we have, we have people who are continuing to, to not acknowledge God and, and to not um, humble themselves, and that's where it comes down to, is humbling themselves and saying, you know what, you are God. You're the one who has given us all of this. You're the one who has, um, who has established us. You're the one who has made all of this possible. You are God. But it doesn't matter what generation, what time period, whether it was in the garden, you know, or from the, you know, from, well, the garden, Adam and Eve, all the way to Revelation. When you read in Revelation where, I mean, Jesus is, man, is, is, is on his throne during the millennium. He's reigning over the earth for a thousand years. People have no... Yeah, they have, well, they, they, have no, they have no excuse to not believe that he exists, that he is who he says. He's been reigning for a thousand years. And then at the end of Revelation, right before everything is, is destroyed... They rebel against him. <laughs> it's, it's just, it shows the heart of man. It's always uh, baffled me how that, how that happens. Mm -hmm. There's no sun, there's no moon, he's the light. Mm -hmm. And people still turn against him. So, you, so you, know, you see this, and so you, you, know, you can look at this guy and go, come on, what's the deal? What's going on here? Um, but he is... Actually, uh, Vince Music just walked by the window, so I think he's looking for us, or looking for so somebody wanted to find him. And there he is. <laughs> he just just was about to knock. Okay. Good evening. So, how how people can you know can continually. Uh, Rebel against God after no having all the proof, all the existence, all the everything, you know. But it is human nature. It is the heart of man to to not want to uh, humble themselves before God. So the king realizes though, he says, The king said to the man of God, Come to me, come with me, verse seven, for a meal, and I'll give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, "Even if I were to give, even if you were to give me half of your possessions, I would not go with you. Nor would I eat bread or drink water here, for I, for I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. 
Now there was a certain, now they, this, okay, so here, that's an amazing story in itself. This young, young prophet comes, gives the word of the Lord, it happens immediately, I mean, miracles happen, powerful things happen. Um, the, the king then tries to reward him. He says, no, I'm out of here. I'm gonna, you know, God told me not to take anything, not to eat or drink, but I'm supposed to go do this for him and then go home and not do anything in between. And so I'm going to do that. And he starts to honor that, and he's, he's heading home. That is an amazing story in and of itself, that, that, that he, that God, and we, we never learn his name before, during, or after. So he's just one of those guys who God used seemingly once, and but it was for a very it was a pivotal moment in the in in history where God uses this person this nameless person um, to you know at least establish what His will is. It didn't really seem to change the course of human events, other than it you know it it, it established a, a a point where God said, "Here's what my will is. You need to stop doing this. I'm going to destroy this." And and God honored that word. He made it. He made it happen. So that would be amazing in of itself. But the rest of the story is the one that just it just messes with me. So verse eight. The man of God answered the king. No, verse eleven. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel, whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had come had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, um, which way did he go? His sons, and his sons showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, Come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back to go and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I, am too, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, Bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. What the heck is that all about? <laughs> you know, what is the deal there? What's, what's going on? Why would that guy do that? You mean why would he lie? Why would the older older prophet Lie to, the, lie to the younger prophet about that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I never stood that either. Mm-hmm. Testing him or something? I don't know. I heard a whisper over in the corner. He's <laughs> jealous. It's the only thing I can come up with. That's one of the things you do with jealousy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. yeah he, I, I, I mean, I, I'm. I'm open to a, I'm open to other answers, but that's the one I keep coming up with is pure jealousy. He was just he was jealous that God used this man, and he wasn't a part of it. You know, I mean, you, it's almost like you're you're sitting there, you know, in your home, and you hear that God just did a miracle through somebody else. I mean, you've been the man of God in that town for how many years? You know, you've been the voice, you've been the prophet, you've been the you've the been the you've been the guy that God goes through. 
And all of a sudden, without any warning, God doesn't tell you, God doesn't wake, you know, give, give you any heads up or anything. Without any warning, so, some young whippersnapper comes into town and takes your place. Now, did it say, here's the interesting, here, here's, some, here's some interesting observations that, I, that I've made over the years. It doesn't say that God was mad at the old prophet and that he was going to replace him and that he was... No, he just chose to use that guy that time. We didn't know a name before. We didn't know a name during. We didn't know a name after. But God just chose to use him. Why? Why did God just choose to use him? We don't know. Probably because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. He can talk through who he wants. He can, he can operate through who he wants. He can do anything he wants, whenever he wants. It's, it's not, he is not bound by, by protocol to us who and when and how he works for people. But, okay. I was going to say, should that old man have been strong enough to say, no, I heard from God and I'm going... I don't know. I mean, you know, he but shouldn't he have been strong enough to the the younger prophet. You well, mean the yeah, because yeah, the, the, the one the, the younger prophet is the one who did the stuff. The the older prophet was the one that was home and then went and Yeah, lied. the one who lied to the old man, right? No, to the the old man he lied to the young man. Oh the young man. Okay, so then and the young man believed him. Yes. And why did he believe it? Because he was told by God. Absolutely, and that's the next part of this of that story is, you know, he, why didn't he do what he was supposed to do? That that I actually can understand more than why did the old man lie to him? You know, uh, other than jealousy. I mean, that makes sense that it would be. You know, the old man is like, well, I want a piece of the action. I, you know, I want some recognition in this. Did the old man know that God would strike him dead? I don't know. Probably not. I don't think he did it so that God would strike him dead. I don't think so. But I don't know. We don't. We don't know. It doesn't give us the, the his thinking behind the scenes. But to me, knowing human nature, and you know, thinking that as someone who is being replaced, the old man might have been like, you know, how come God didn't use me? So I, I want my name associated with what's going on there too. You know. So when people tell the story, and then he went over to the old prophet's house. And the old prophet, and they, and they had supper together, and you know, it's kind of like this, you know, uh, the the fifteen minutes of fame. You know, you 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 weren't famous yourself, but you knew somebody who was famous. You know, and you had your fifteen minutes of fame. Um, I don't know, you know, because I, I, it doesn't give us enough background. But you see this story, and, and I've when when the Lord, you know, when I when I read this, and, and the Lord was dealing with me. There was some things going on where basically God told me to do something, do something specific. And as I was doing it, somebody else tried to talk me out of it. And I had just read this story and I was like, dude, don't want to get eaten by a lion. Okay. So, you know, uh, but it's very nerve wracking. So then we get to the part about why did the young man give in, even though God said to do it, it, it. Pressure, peer pressure. He's the old prophet. He probably knew the old prophet, he, or he, at least he had heard about him, and then respected him. He, you know, he had, you know, there are times when God tells you to do something, you know, and, and, and as I was, you know, mulling over this this idea that we were going to talk about this tonight, um, 
first we have to believe the premise or at least understand the premise that God tells us to do stuff. There are times when he tells us to do stuff. It can be big, important stuff like this, at least seemingly big, important stuff, or the little, you know, the little mundane things that, that don't seem all that important at the moment. But I believe God still leads us. You know, he, he leads us to do, you know, to be a part of something or leads us to go to a certain church. You know, it could be something as simple as, you know, I think I feel like I'm supposed to be a part of this church or that church. And, and he expects us to obey that, whatever it is. Um, you know, uh, years ago, I felt like I was supposed to help a certain ministry. God, you know, God laid it on my heart that I was supposed to be a help to that person in that certain ministry. And he's never given me release to not do it. So I just keep doing it. You, you keep doing whatever God tells you to do until he says, okay, now you're done. Because he had done everything right up until that moment. He was even on his way home. And somebody else came in and said, well, maybe you should do something different. And he caved to the, the well, peer pressure. I mean, for lack of, a, lack of a better term, it was peer pressure. The older guy had the respect. He had the, he had the, uh, the, the years behind him. He had the knowledge. Well, well, maybe he did hear from God. But he lied for his own reasons, whatever reasons he had. So the young man does it. And then, and then you know, this, this story keeps having these twists that just make me shake my head. Um, so he was lying to him. So the man, verse 19, so the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. Verse 20, while they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet. So God still used the old prophet. He had just lied made the made the younger prophet sin and God still uses him. You think he would actually be the one in trouble. He lied. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the younger prophet, I mean don't you think in some ways he might have thought that he had heard from God and that it was legit. I would certainly be it's tempted not like to think he was that. just saying please stay with me and didn't put God associated with it. Mm-hmm. I mean that's the hard thing. How do you know if somebody's leading you astray and that they're not. I mean, why would you think an old prophet would lie about that? Absolutely. You know, I would think he'd strike the old prophet mm-hmm. dead for lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, not to mm-hmm. I know, but it, it is hard. I mean, yes, but it is hard when he said it was from the Lord. It would mm-hmm. be completely different if the old prophet didn't say, I heard from God, too. Yeah. Yeah. I know that is the moral of the story, but I mean, it just is, you feel bad for the the young one. Me too. I, I've always felt bad for the, the young one going, I got it. What if the old prophet, though, what if it was more of a, uh, a curiosity, he wanted to know who this guy was that God had chosen to use. Maybe maybe he lied about it, but maybe it was more of a pure motive where he really wanted this guy to come over so he could get to know him. Mm-hmm. You know, more of a curiosity kind of a thing. Yeah. But he still lied. He still lied, yeah. But the other guy died. Because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't oh, I know why. Yeah. Sometimes people put on like a front, kind of like what you were saying, putting on a front to see what the other person will do. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm kind of s- saying something just to see what someone will <coughs> do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it could be where maybe it wasn't a pure motive. 
maybe he heard the whole story where the guy says, well, I can't eat or drink and I've got to go home by a different road and I'm not supposed to stop and do it and say anything with anybody. And he goes, I'll go discredit this guy so that I'm still the, the head prophet in the, in the area. He, did, yeah. he didn't expect he God to kill him. Yeah. You know, that was the... He must have been supporting the worship. It. Ooh, never thought of that. Yeah, he'd been there. I mean, if he was the prophet of the area, he must have been the one saying this is okay to do. Yeah. To the king. And he had, and he had never, you know, and maybe God had told him to, to prophesy against the, against the altar and had never done it. You know. Hmm. Yeah, we, we don't know. These are the these are the stories. When I get to heaven, I want to watch the reruns. You know, I want I want to see what really was happening behind the scenes. You know, because it's just. It's interesting to me the the, the 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 workings of how these things happen in real life, not just as a story that we see and we take it as face value. There there was a whole story, though the backstory of what was what was going on, is so fascinating. So uh, so while they were sitting at the table, verse twenty, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had who had brought him back. He cried out against the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where you were, where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. I mean, talk about a bummer. <laughs> you know? I mean, oh, gotcha, you know. I don't think at this point he, he had any idea that he was going to get eaten by a lion either, or killed by a lion. He actually didn't get eaten by the lion. That's a whole that's, that's a whole other interesting. We'll get to there. But so here this guy gets him and he stands up and he prophesies. Probably the old prophet had no clue that the guy was about to die. He just thought, ah, gotcha, you know. And maybe he was trying to to discredit him or or, or trap him into that. So who knows. So, he prophesies against him and says, You will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. Verse 23, When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was left lying on the road, with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Beside it. That in itself mm-hmm. is odd. I mean... The donkey is still standing there and not terrified of the lion. Yeah. (laughs) And and it even says later on, the lion didn't attack the donkey. Yeah. You know? Yeah, just odd stuff. It was just an odd story all the way around. Which, if the Bible, you know, and, and the argument is always, well, it was just written by a bunch of men. You wouldn't write it this way. You wouldn't write that the lion and the donkey stood next to the body and waited. Even when the prophet went to go pick up the body, the lion's still there, the donkey's still there, and, and nothing nothing attacks anybody. So yeah, just freaky stuff. And isn't it isn't it the donkey? Isn't aren't, aren't mules um, very protective against uh, wild animals like that? I thought I heard about that. You know, when when guys were there's always that video you see of that the cougar. Um, yeah. Yeah, mule or donkey, killing that cougar. cougar yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, the they were backpacking, mm-hmm. and the and the cougar jumped out and attacked, and the donkey killed it. I mean, just beat it to death with his hooves. <laughs> it was quite funny. 
I mean, jumping up and down on it, you know, when it was, it's... A donkey can do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He picked it, was, it up with his teeth and threw it. Like he picked, yeah, feet. picked it up, was shaking it, threw it with his, I mean, it was vicious. A donkey? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I should find the YouTube thing. No, no. no. <laughs> it's not, it's not Ooh, shiny. <laughs> it's not Gordon, though, it's just funny. No, it, yeah, it's just very... <clears throat> so, no, my sister, my sister said she needs to get a donkey to keep the coyotes away from the from the horse from the horses. Really? So, yeah, <laughs> they're they're not not friendly. Yeah, so, so right here, you have the two that are unfriendly, just standing by the body. It didn't say they were even you know in a face off or anything. They were just they're just standing there. It didn't sound like the corpse the corpse had rotted in it at all either. No, I think it all happened in the same day. Ah, possibly. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Verse 26. Well, 23. So when the man is so 24, talking about the standing beside it, some people who passed by saw the body lying there with the lion standing beside it, verse 25, and they went and reported in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion, which has mauled him and killed him, as the word of the Lord had warned him. 27. The prophet said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. They did so. He went out and found the body lying on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, said, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb, and they mourned over him and said, Alas, my brother. I believe at that point is when he became remorseful. <laughs> After burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones, for the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places." This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, and that, that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. So Jeroboam did not change. Even though all of this happened, he did not change. He, he did not um, he did not heed the word of the Lord and um, repent. thoughts about that just a crazy story it is it's just a it's just one of those stories that I've never fully understood but at the same time God you know God has used it many times to basically the moral of the story is do what God tells you to do if he tells you to do it you do it no matter what anybody else says 
And people will try to talk you out of doing what God wants you to do. It happens all the time. It can happen in big things, but it can also happen in little things. You know, is this what God's leading me to do? So then it begs the question, is God leading me to do anything? I have to admit, I, I have to believe, and I, I do believe, that God is always talking to us, always wants us to be following him and, and you know, doing what he's telling us to do, whether it's big stuff or little stuff. <clears throat> you know, being, being whatever to whomever. You know, uh, it was interesting. I just ran into a guy, I've uh, been, been running into this guy, who he's, uh, he works out at the same place I do, and he's a Christian. And we started talking about um, being a part of, of this uh, self-defense program and why would, you know, he's a believer, and we were talking about why would God have us do this? And he's like, I, so I'm convinced that I'm here to be a witness. You know, it doesn't seem like all that of an important thing, except... It seems as though God is, is has a heart for these men from Israel, for the people that are in this, and he and it's it's maybe the only way that they will hear the gospel is from believers who are, you know, who who are who excel in what they there was what excites them. So in this seemingly un, unimportant thing, it's important that we you know. So then we need to continue to to to, to be diligent in that. To be who God's called us to be, you know, and so it can be something as simple as, you know, following a hobby, you know, that's really what this was when I started, but this hobby has turned into a witnessing opportunity, both to um, to people locally, but also people internationally. So the things we're, that God calls us to are bigger than what they seem sometimes, and and right here, you know, why was it such a big deal that he did not eat, he did not drink, he went went home a different direction? Why was that so important? We'll never know until we get to heaven. There probably was a very important reason. You know, if nothing more, then do what I tell you to do. Be obedient, even in the little things. Don't eat, don't drink. You know, you there'll be plenty of time for that when you get home. <laughs> Feels like a, a Hitchcock movie with the uh, with all the bugs. Uh, circling the box elder invasion. So, do what God tells you to do. It's a great takeaway. All right. Any thoughts before we move on? First Kings fourteen, beginning with verse one. At that time, Abijah. See, now here we get into the, we have the Boams, the Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and all the other Boams. And now we get into the Ahijahs and the Abijahs. And they talk about confusing. First, or First Kings 14, verse 1. At that time, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, so Jeroboam is the king of Israel. Rehoboam is the king of Judah. So at that time, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, becomes ill. Jeroboam is the one who is evil, who, is, who will not repent before the Lord. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Go disguise yourself so you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam. Then go to Shiloh. Ahijah the prophet is there, the one who told me I would be king over, his, over this people. Take ten loaves of bread with you some cakes and a jar of honey and go to him. 
he will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam's wife did what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh. Now Ahijah could not see. His sight was gone because of his age. Now here's the thing. If you think that we're in a disguise into the prophet's house will get you anything, it, uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't work. I mean, if the guy is hearing from God, he hears from God. It, you, you cannot hide it. Um, you, you can't fake it. You can't, you can't uh, deceive. You can't, you know, none of those things. Which then takes us back to the story previous. If the young prophet heard from God and, and prophesied what he prophesied, saw the miracles that he, that he saw, why did he return with the old prophet? Because, the, because God had, what God told him to do and everything that he told him to do had happened, why would he not finish all the way? You know, was he waiting for God to say, you know, to, to confirm or to not confirm? You know, no, I said don't go. You know, no, God told him once, don't, this is how I want you to do it. And unless I, t- you know, and, and he doesn't say this part, but the, the takeaway is, if I don't tell you to do anything different, you keep telling you what I told you to do. You just keep going forward. If I, until I tell you to do something different, you keep doing what I told you to do. Doesn't matter what somebody else says. Doesn't matter what public opinion says. It doesn't matter all of those other things. You keep doing what God told you to do. And so, you know... Uh, Maybe he thought he was through with the task. Possibly. He had stopped and was sitting under a tree. And, you know, that was another, you know, fine point of this where God says, you know, go, do this, return a different way, don't eat, don't drink. And yet he finds him sitting under a tree, kind of going, hey, you know, was he sitting there going, sweet, was that cool today or what? <laughs> and, little, you know, a little bit of pride, very possible, it's human. But it's in those times when you relax and let down is when usually you get caught, you know. So, the prophet of God, Ahijah, could not see. His sight was gone because of his age. But the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son, for he is ill, and you are to give her such and such an answer. When she arrives, she'll pretend to be someone else. I mean, how disconcerting can it be when you haven't even got to the door yet? You haven't even knocked on the door? And in verse 6, so when Ahijah heard the, vo- the sound of her footsteps at the door, he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. <laughs> Why this pretense? I mean, talk about getting outed. You know. Dude, that's not good. I have been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I raised you up from among the people. And appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all of his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made yourselves other gods, yourself other gods, idols made of metal. And you have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Because of this, I'm going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel. 
slave or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it is all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. That is good. Yeah, that's not what you want to hear, is it? You know, when you're when you're heading to the prophet's place, you don't want to hear. Uh, this is not going to be good. You're not not only is your son going to die, but everybody in your house is going to die. All of your family. You're going to lose the kingdom. Everything. As for you, go back home. When you when you set foot in, in your city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried. Now she doesn't set foot in the city, but he lives. Hmm? Would he have lived if she never went home? Hmm. Interesting. Because he is the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. The Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the family of Jeroboam. Even now this is beginning to happen. And the Lord will strike Israel so that it will be like a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel from his good land, this good land that he gave to their ancestors and, and scatter them beyond the Euphrates River, which is... Babylon. He's, this is the, the first prophetic word against Israel about Babylon being taken into exile. So here we are at the, at the second or third king of Israel, and already God is tired. He's like, that's it. You're going to be, you're going to go into exile because of what you're doing. But it was also from the beginning of the idol worship. And the Lord will strike Israel so that it be a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel, scatter them beyond the Euphrates River, because they arouse the Lord's anger by making Asherah poles. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to commit. Then Jeroboam's wife got up, left, went to Tizra, Tirzah. As soon as she stepped over the threshold of the house, the boy died. They buried him. And all Israel mourned for him as the Lord had said through the servant, the prophet Ahijah. So the other events of Jeroboam's wife, his war, or lives, his wars, how he ruled, written in the book of the annals of the king, so on and so forth. Now we switch over to Judah. Within kings now, we start, we start going back and forth. Kings. King in Judah, king in Israel. Kings in Judah, kings in Israel. Good kings, bad kings. What happens? And you start seeing a pattern developing. Good kings live long. They reign long. Bad kings, terrible deaths, don't, ring, don't, don't live very long. They, they usually get overthrown. But you see, you start to see this, and it's like back and forth. And when you read it, and, and as we go over it the next few weeks, you'll see that. You'll see this. You'll, you'll see, well, this guy did good inside the Lord. This guy did bad in the sight of the Lord. This guy did good in the sight of the Lord. This guy did bad in the sight of the Lord. And you start seeing, it's basically, it's, it's establishing what happens when you do right. When you do right, there is blessing. When you do wrong, there is a curse. And it's not that God was looking for people to curse. It just is. It's just, it's just what happens when people don't do what God tells them to do. Or doesn't fulfill um, who, you know, their calling in life. 
Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned for 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Naamah. She was an Ammonite. Judah did evil in the sight of in the eyes of the Lord. By the uh, by the sins they committed, they stirred up jealous anger more than those who had been before. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones, asher poles on every hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land. The people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem. He carried off the treasures. So the, the temple treasures lasted one generation. All the gold, all the, 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 the amazing things that... that uh, Solomon had built and had, that he had done lasted one generation. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's not really very long. Right. Which is another takeaway that every generation has to hold on to it. Every generation has to follow God for themselves. They, you know, it, they're not grandfathered in. Just because you follow God doesn't mean your kids are going to. They have to choose that. They have to they, you know, and, and, and we do our best. We teach, we train, you know, and, and I, I, I wish I could, I could tell people, I wish I could tell parents that there's this formula that all you have to do is, is train your kids exactly this way and they'll never fall away from God. They'll never make bad decisions. But I have seen amazing parents who raise their kids, at least according to what I see, amazingly whose kids at, at some point in time turn away from God. And I've seen parents who are terrible parents whose kids turn out amazing. So I would love to say there's some kind of a formula, but I, I don't believe there is. I believe that each generation has to choose. And they, you know, and, and somebody who has who has none of the advantages, who has none of the 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 uh, uh, the advantages, probably the best way to say it, of knowing God, hearing you know, having parents who know of God, who who get taught all the way through that they they turn out right they, they have a heart after God and they and they, they follow God you know and I, and I, I tell this story a lot the, there was a young girl when we were in Albert Lee and when we were first married who was her, her, her she never knew her father her father left at a very early age her mom wasn't a Christian wouldn't darken the door of a church and she loved God with all of her heart I mean she was just and she still does I mean I still Actually, a friend with her on Facebook, she's still a believer, still seeking after God, you know, all these years later. So it's not, it isn't about, it, it isn't about whether your parents believe or not. It's about whether that child makes that decision or not. Yeah. I have, I'll, I'll just say, tell you my daughter, uh, Haley, mm-hmm. my uh, granddaughter, I've been giving her... Um, you know, like a Bible study every day, daily thing to read. And um, she was starting to do it at the house, and her mother, who's, you know, was born and raised Catholic and, you know, just did not get into the Lord at all and just was it's kind of, what are you doing that for? That's crazy. So here's Haley trying to, you know, read, and mm-hmm. she gets chastised at home 
for doing that. I mean, not when she's at my son's house for part of because they're divorced. Mm -hmm. But um, I just kind of broke me up. I felt so bad. But but I'm thinking, well, when she she's what 12, 11, when she you know finally gets away, maybe she you know at least she's been grounded, you mm -hmm. know, and will hopefully go back. And I mean, you yeah. know, continue. And, and and I and I definitely am not saying that that having Christian parents is is doesn't do the kid any good. That's not true. You know, I mean, they have been, by having a, a, a Christian grandparent or a Christian parent, they have then all the benefits of seeing and hearing. Here's you know here's who God is, and they get to see an example. That's why it's important that we show a real example, not just not just our Sunday Sunday example. And so. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 it isn't it isn't a grandfather in sort of a deal. It's they have to make their own choice, and 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 we see that in these in these kings. Okay. Um, ba -dum, ba -dum. What verse was I on? Yeah. Are you seeing that in the young and old prophet too? I mean, the young prophet knew what God had told him, but then he followed the old one instead of. Instead of following God, instead of you know hanging on to it himself, mm -hmm. he said, "Oh well, this guy must be right." Mm -hmm. you know, kind of yep, exactly. Yeah, we we have to know God, and we have to know the Word of the Lord ourselves. And our kids need to know God, and they need to know the Word of the Lord themselves, because even parents can talk their kids out of doing what God told them to do. You know. So, you know, heaven forbid we ever do that. Heaven, you know, God forbid that that we would ever set our kids up to to feel like they have to please us rather than please God. You know, but it's possible. I mean, we see it here. We see Solomon. You know, we see we see David. We see all these people who seemingly had these amazing lives, and their kids turned out not so good. But then you hear a lot, like Haley said, her mother said that. Her parents pushed her and just kind of yeah. pushed that religion onto mm -hmm. her, and she just got rejected because she they pushed it so much. And yeah. we're going to church every Sunday. Oh, we're going to do this, and and so Amy, the mother, rebelled. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you know, and, and you see that a lot happening too when they push them. And and I think that's where the parent needs to really hear God and, and do what He leads them to do. Yeah. Um, when I mean, our kids are preachers' kids. You know, every time we're here, when they were younger, they were expected to be here, and you know, we're we were very aware of that. You know, no, we are Christians, and, and you're going to believe a certain way, and this and that. You know, and I've told this story before too. But the, you know, one of the the hardest moments of my whole life was the day that my son goes, "Yeah, I, I don't know if I believe that there's a God." <laughs> you know. <laughs> Start, start, you know, breathing a heavy chest, everything, and the Holy Spirit says, "Relax. What? Just walk with him through it. Just relax. Ask him why." And started, you know, started asking questions rather than going, "Oh no, you are going to believe God." That's what I wanted to do. That is exactly what I wanted to do. But he had to come to that himself. And you know, it's a long story, but it it, it was the day when. When he came to me, he says, Dad, I know God is real. I said, how do you know? And he says, I can't tell you exactly why, but this is what happened just now, and God revealed himself to me. 
Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. You know? And so they have to come to it. And if they don't come to it themselves, they don't own it. It's not, it's not their own. All right. In 15? 14. Really, that's it, huh? <laughs> Alright, 26 and 14. Um, so he carried off the, the treasures, temple, he took everything, including the gold shields, uh, made bronze shields to put in place of them, and so basically it's a, it's a, a type and a shadow of the glory of God being dimmed. It is the it is the it's it's the glory of God being taken away from the temple and the and the, the worship in the temple. So it goes on about Rehoboam's life, all that it was written about in the books, the annals, the kings of Judah, and so on and so on. His when he dies, Abijah, his son, succeeded him as king. First Kings fifteen, Abijah the king of Judah. Eighteenth year of the reign of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijah became king of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem three years. Now, when you get to this point in each of these chapters and you start reading about the next king, and it says, and he reigned in Jerusalem three years. Good king or bad king? Bad. Bad. <laughs> it's usually a very good indicator. Oh, this isn't going to be good. It's going to get, it's going to get ugly. He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his forefather had been. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord has his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem strong. Now, stop there, back way up, look at the whole picture from David to Jesus. Even though these guys, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, they were still the lineage of Jesus. Interesting. That God still used these people to fulfill his plan. And the the promise that there would always be a king in Jerusalem, or over Jerusalem, or there would be this lineage, he was doing it not to reward them. He was doing it so that his word would be fulfilled. So God will do whatever he has to do for his word to be fulfilled, even if he has to use some scoundrels to do it. Now, we don't want to be the scoundrels. You know, we want to be the ones that that God uses because we're righteous, that we're willing, that we're obedient, that we're all of these things. We don't want to be the one who gets to reign for three years. We want to be the one that reigns for 40 years and peace was in the land and so on and so forth. Um, but that's our choice. He will still use us. He will still <clears throat> work his plan through us. But sometimes he has to do it despite us. And I've, I've always wanted to be used because, you know, I wanted, I wanted it to be the 40-year reign with the peace and, the, and there was a great king and everybody was happy and there was peace on all sides. You know, I don't want to be God use him anyway, no matter how you know how bad he was. So, three years reign, he committed all the sins of his father. 
For David, uh, verse five. For David had done. This is what I love about the Bible too. I mean, it just it it doesn't cover up the the blemishes. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all of the days of his life. Well, except for the case of Uriah the Hittite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, by the way, I, yeah, you live in discretion. You know, he was only murder. <laughs> Pardon? And Bathsheba didn't come under Yeah, that, but, yeah that, that didn't even make it in here. But yeah, I suppose it's under the same sin. Kind of the same it's, thing. Yeah, it's the same incident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not two. It's <laughs> one big one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just... But it's, it, I love that it's in there. You know, yeah. I, I love that it's... You know what? They, they were, you know, God doesn't try to hide the fact that, you know what? They're not perfect. I mean, David was a man after my own heart, except he killed a guy because he was sleeping with his wife. And <laughs> Which, praise God, gives us hope. You know? It's those kinds of, of instances. You know, even Solomon. Solomon's the wisest man in the world. You know, the wisest man that ever lived. Well, except he had a thousand wives from there, and they started worshiping. You know? It means that God, God understands, well, my, I can't say it's my favorite verse, but he understands that we're butt dust. <laughs> That's the way it actually says it. We, he understands that we are butt dust. And that the youth don't group, ever tell my kids that oh. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> That's the only one they'll say. The, the, the youth group kids absolutely love, what's butt dust? John <laughs> <laughs> Owen. But they would remember. They would remember a Bible verse, though. See, that's that's the best part. There was war between Abijah and Jeroboam throughout Abijah's life. As for the other events of Abijah's reign and all he did, and they were not written, or as they were, were they not written in the book of the Annals of the Kings of Judah? Yada yada yada. Uh, Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried. Doesn't say how he died, does it? But Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. So, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. Good or bad? Good. 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 Absolutely. His grandmother's name was Makah, daughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. He even deposed his grandmother Makkah from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of the Asherah. Asa cut it down and burned it in the Kidron Valley, although he did not remove the high places. That's the, that's the other thing you'll start seeing throughout all this is they followed God, except they didn't do this. And they followed God, except they didn't do that. And they followed God, well, except for this area. Only one did it all the way. Joshua. Josiah. David. Josiah. Oh, yeah, but he was a king. Yeah, Joshua. Josiah. And that's the one, remember, the beginning of this whole thing. It was prophesied that Josiah would be the one who would, who would make things right. And when he does it, he does it all the way. It's amazing. And I love that story because... You know, the, the, the kings, they've gone through this cycle over and 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 over. And Josiah. <laughs> name your son, name your kids Josiah. Is no, America needs a Josiah. Yeah. All right. So, up and down, up and down. Isaiah comes, or uh, Josiah comes along. 
Josiah is a 14-year-old kid. He becomes king. His dad dies. He becomes king. The country is in a shambles, an absolute shambles. And so he's trying to, you know, kind of scraping and you know, trying to figure out how they're going to make it. All of a sudden, a priest who's been uh, been faithful all the way along comes out with a book of the annals of the king. One probably, you know, a copy of what has been written of these different kings. And they, and he says, I just found this book. And I thought maybe we should read it. So he begins to read the history of what's been going on all these years. And he gets to the part where the prophet comes and prophesies against the, the altar and says, and a king named Josiah will be born and will, re- and will return all things. Changes his whole life. He immediately then starts to wipe out the idolatry. And he does, I, from what I, if I remember correctly, he, does, he wipes out all of it. He wipes out all of the priests. He, I mean, he killed, he's the one who burns the, 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 the bones of the priests on, the, on that altar, desecrating it. He's the one who, he, he cuts down all the Asher poles. He, he, he takes down all of the high places. I mean, he sweeps it clean. And so um, that is just a, a, a fantastic... And he was a teenager with the time. Yeah, he was a four, I, think, I believe he was 14 years old. Yeah. I worked in his behalf. How? So I think you're that young, you just got a lot of testosterone, and you know. <laughs> he just, just, just goes do it. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't care what anybody else they no, didn't, didn't, didn't know any better. He didn't, didn't owe anybody. So. Right. Yeah, that's true. All right. There was war between Asa and Basha, 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 king of Israel throughout their reigns. Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah, fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving it or entering the territory. Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasures of the Lord's temple. He entrusted it to his officials, sent them to Ben-Hadad, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you. As there was between my father and your father, see, I am sending you a gift of silver and gold. Break your treaty with Bashab. Hadad does that in verse 20, sends his commanders, his forces against Israel. They retreat back. Um, and while they, when they retreat back, he goes and he steals all the stones from Ramah that they were using uh, to build the siege or to build the, the, uh, the blocking everybody in, and then he dies. As for all the other events, Asa's achievements, all he did, his cities he built, are they not written? He showed wisdom. He showed wisdom of going and making a treaty with a, with a common enemy or a common, you know, the, the people who could help him, turning on him, and he makes the right decision says that he was rested with his ancestors, was buried with him in the city of David, and Jehoshaphat, his son, succeeded him as king. Jumping Jehoshaphat. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel in the second year of Asa. He reigned over Israel two years. Good or bad? Bad. It's easy. You can just see it, you know, (laughs) see it coming. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father, committed the same sin. Basha, son of Ahijah, from the tribe of Issachar, plotted against him, and he struck him down at Gibbethon, a Philistine town. 
while Nadab and all of Israel were besieging it, Basha killed Nadab in the third year of Asa king, succeeded him as king. As soon as he began to reign, he killed Jeroboam's whole family. He did not leave Jeroboam anyone that breathed, but destroyed them all. According to the word of the Lord, given through the servant Ahijah the Shilonite, this happened because of the sins of Jeroboam had committed and had caused Israel to commit, and because he aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel. So even though he was a bad king, he fulfilled the word of the Lord. You can see God used even this guy who only, you know, he was a he he committed the same sins as his father, but he did fulfill the word of the Lord against the house of Jeroboam. As for the other events of Nadab's reign, all he did, uh, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Israel? There was war between Asa and Basha, king Basha, king of Israel, throughout their reigns. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, son of Ahijah, became king of all Israel in Terza, and he reigned 24 years. He did evil, so kind of a mid, you know, usually the good ones last 40 years, but... He did evil in the sight of the Lord, following the ways of Jeroboam and committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. Any thoughts? One thing I found interesting was mm-hmm. in this, during the same time period, I wrote it down, during the same time period, there were three kings in Judah and there were seven in, in Israel. That is interesting. Because they were just evil. There wasn't a good one there. Yep. Yep. And they all followed after their father, the uh, Jeroboam. Rehoboam? Jeroboam. Rehoboam was the king of Judah. Yes. Help me look. How did the kingdom split apart? Kingdom split apart right after Solomon. Solomon. Yeah, I remember that. We, we learned that last week. Rehoboam was Solomon's natural son, and he started to reign, and he was he had a tight fist. He didn't want to let the people go. So Jeroboam rose up in rebellion and took ten tribes with him. Yeah. And, it, and it, was, it was a judgment against Solomon because of the sins of Solomon. At the end of his life, he started uh, sacrificing to idols. Oh, okay. And God said, because you did this, you know, I'm going to take away the kingdom from you. But he says, not the whole kingdom. Right. You know. But he said he didn't, he didn't do it in his lifetime. Which is, you know, that, there's a couple of times where you, where you see God passing judgment on somebody, but they say, you know, I'm not going to pass judgment, I'm passing judgment on you, but I'm not going to fulfill the judgment in your lifetime, but in your son's lifetime or your children's lifetime. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. But one of the kings actually goes, oh, good. You know, but Hezekiah. Is it Hezekiah? Well, not necessarily his children's lifetime, but they held <clears throat> off to Babylon. But... At, least, at least it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hello. You know, I guess that's kind of what America is doing with the debt, but that's a whole problem. At least it's not going to fall apart in my life, except it probably will. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not that old. I guess. Any other thoughts? 
Amen. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful evening.